0: Everybody and welcome back to a trip down Duckett's Passage. You've joined us here again for Series 2 of the podcast and that means also Series 2 of Goodnight Sweetheart. We're going to review every single episode of Series 2 over the next few months and it's a little bit of a bumper series as well compared to the first one. Only six episodes in Series 1 but Series 2 has 10 episodes to go through so plenty to get our teeth into if you're new to a trip down Duckett's passage let me introduce myself my name is rob and i am your tour guide as i take you down Duckett's passage as we head back to all things 1940s london and all things 1990s as well as we look at gary sparrow and all of his antics during goodnight Sweetheart. And if you do find yourself here as a new listener, then please go back and listen to all of Series 1 of A Trip Down Duckett's Passage. We look at every episode of Series 1 of Goodnight Sweetheart. There's so much good content in there, so many nice bits of trivia, so many lovely messages from you guys. And I really want to carry on building this whole community with a trip down Ducat's Passage, so please spread the word, and please either go and re-listen, or even listen for a first time, all of Series 1 episodes of the podcast. Let me again apologise for the delay, in bringing Series 2 to you, because it has been a hectic Christmas, and New Year period for me, but... I tried to sweeten you up a bit by bringing out three podcasts back-to-back and this is the third of the trilogy. You may have listened a couple of days ago to the first of the three which was a recap of everything to do with series one which was actually really nice just to go back over that again and just refresh my memory. Yesterday I brought out the second of the three which was a spin-off episode which was the greatest theme tunes from the Saturdays and the Sunday nights of the 90s of some amazing tv shows we had like baywatch gladiators blind date in there so i want you guys to obviously vote which one's your favorite and today is the third of the trilogy and today is the main one we're back starting with series two episode one today and I know a lot of you have been actually really eager for this podcast to return. I've had so many messages asking when it's coming back and I didn't mean for you guys to be kept waiting around. I was always going to come back and do series two. It was only when time permitted me and hopefully from this point on now I'm hoping that I can get out a podcast to you guys at least ever once every two weeks or at the latest three weeks so that you guys can have regular good night sweetheart nostalgic fixes and that is what i'm aiming to do for you guys so series two episode one is the review that we're going to do today and that episode is called don't get around much anymore so to all you sweeties here is your first overview of an episode of series two (music) series two episode one don't get around much anymore With an ongoing feud between Gary and Ron over their previous failed plan to get rich, Gary is persuaded to return to the past by Ron to try the plan out one more time. Surely there is no way it can fail this time. Trying to avoid the Royal Oak on his trip back to the 40s though, Gary bumps into his old friends and realises a lot has changed since his last visit to the past.
1: Mm-hmm. One
0: mm-hmm. from before i go into the episode review it's that part of the show where i like to get you guys involved i want you guys to get in touch with me i want to hear from you from email or messages on social media to hear what you guys think about the podcast and also hear if you've got any trivia that you want to share with any of a good night sweetheart fans as well so this is the part where we delve into the mailbag and we're going to start off with a message that i received on facebook from Russell Cox, who says, "'Nice listen. Got impatient waiting for the episode of another podcast. A fantastic and underrated series. It's sad that they chose a terribly recasted remake of Porridge as opposed to the new Goodnight Sweetheart series.'" So what I just want to add a little bit of context to that is that Goodnight Sweetheart actually was brought back for a one-off special in 2016. Now I'm not going to go into any of the details of that because I want to get into that when it comes to reviewing that particular episode. But at that time I think BBC brought back quite a few shows... For some sort of comedy anniversary. I need to have a proper look into it before I can give you all the true facts. But um, that was the kind of gist of it. And Goodnight Sweetheart was brought back as a comeback episode. We had Porridge which was completely recast and rebooted. And you had other shows. I think there was a Keeping Up Appearances prequel show called... Young Hyssop, which looked at Synth Bouquet in her teenage years, I think, which was a bit more like a drama than actually comedy. But the BBC had made it clear that if there was any good viewing figures for any of these shows, there was this option that maybe they would be given another series. And actually, Goodnight Sweetheart really came out well from that comeback episode. But for some reason, the BBC chose to give a series to Porridge, which was the reboot, and to be fair, I think it was a bit of a flop, and I think a lot of Goodnight Sweetheart fans questioned the BBC's choice to do that, because from that comeback episode of Goodnight Sweetheart, there was so much opportunity for good storylines for another series, but the BBC chose not to. That was their decision and there we go. I won't dwell on it too much, we're going to dwell on that a lot more when we get to that episode review, and that's going to be quite a way down the line, but thank you very much for Russell for getting in touch. Now you may remember that every time I bring out an episode on Spotify, I kind of attach a question along with that episode as well, and with the last episode that I did of the podcast, we said goodbye to Eric, who was Phoebe's dad, in series one we knew that because we'd watched the show plenty of times before we knew eric only appears in series one and then he was written out and the question that i had for you guys was did eric have another series in his character or was it right to write phoebe's dad out after series one what was your views well i had flam Thrasher on spotify respond to that question by saying no good riddance to eric without him in series two phoebe grew stronger and I think we had quite a few people say pretty much the same thing. I think Jason Brown got in touch. He responded to the Spotify question by saying, Hi Rob, I think Eric did his time on Goodnight Sweetheart. He was very protective of Phoebe, as he would have been, but never warmed to Gary from the first episode. He was written out at the right time, which then left Phoebe space to live her own life. Jason then goes on to say, I hope you're feeling a lot better and again, brilliant show and keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Jason. He's referring to the fact that I had COVID when I recorded the last episode of the last series... Feeling much better from that. Thank you very much. And thank you, Jason, for the kind words about the show. Really appreciate it. I also had Ian Tipper respond to the question as well. He says, I like David Ryle. Great actor. I'm not sure he would have totally accepted Gary, but would be kept sweet with gifts. You mentioned in a previous podcast about the longevity of the character. And I think the balance in the two time zones is right with a wife and a sidekick. And obviously he has that with Phoebe. In the past and Reg is the kind of the sidekick. And in the present time he obviously has Yvonne where his sidekick is Ron. So thank you very much Ian Tipper for that. Back on Facebook we had Adam R Fox get in touch to say just started to listen to the podcast love it i have been a big fan of Goodnight sweetheart since i saw episode one back in 1993 lovely short comment from you there adam very much appreciated so thank you very much adam for getting in touch and finally i just wanted to add this email which i received from george hawkins he says hello just wanted to congratulate you on the podcast i'm a huge comedy fan and being 42 the 90s is my sweet spot Ironically, your pod is taking me back there. How spoilt we were watching new episodes of Only Fools and Horses, Goodnight Sweetheart, One Foot in the Grave, Father Ted, Harry Enfield, the list is endless. Can I ask if you saw them first time around or if you came to them later? So let me just take the opportunity to stop there to answer the question for you, George. Did I ever watch Goodnight Sweetheart the first time around? Well, when Goodnight Sweetheart first started, I would have been six because I was born in 1987. The show came out in 1993. I don't remember the show the first time around. I think I probably remember seeing the odd episodes here and there. I don't remember watching them in order, but I remember seeing the odd episode maybe towards the end of of its series so this would have been about 99 and by that point I would have been about 12 years old so I would have watched the odd episode but it was only really I'd say when I was in my teens probably late teens 17 18 that I really sat down I bought the box set off Amazon all six series and I watched them binged them back to back and I absolutely fell in love with the show then. And I, even now, I think I've used them DVDs numerous times to go back and re watch it from episode one of series one all the way to the end of series six so it's a show that i think i've always kind of described as being nice and comfy it's one of them ones where on a sunday afternoon if there's nothing on i kind of just love to put it on when the fire's roaring as well the weather's rubbish outside it's just that nice companion to have to watch that's what i find about good night sweetheart so yeah i never really watched it the first time around but believe me i've watched it plenty of times overall since george goes on to say just a few minor thoughts from him He says, in episode one, you talked about the viewing figures and the anticipation that there was for this show. It wasn't so much the intriguing plot, though, that was part of it, but this was Nick Lindhurst's first major role after the regular series of Only Fools and Horses was completed. Christmas specials continued, but whether he could shake off Rodney was on everyone's mind. Of course, he did it in a breeze, but it was by no means certain. And yeah, do you know what? That's actually a good point. I never actually thought of that. This was a big role for Nicholas Lindhurst to take on, a main role. Obviously, he had a main role in Only Fools and Horses, but he had David Jason there to take him along the way. But here, he was the main star. And to be fair, like George has pointed out, he really pulled it off. He does an amazing job in this show. I really love Nicholas Lindhurst playing Gary Sparrow. I don't think anybody else could play it better. George then goes on to say, you have all the right ingredients for the comedy podcasts. Thank you, George. He says, maybe get another person on, but don't get tied to it if it's not quite right. The chemistry has to be there. I actually think one person or three people is optimal. Two people can be a little closed and the listener is on the outside. Three people resolves that as one person on the pod is in the same position as the listener during conversations between the other two. If you find the right people, great, but test it. Hope you don't mind the feedback, but I'm infused enough already and I want you to have the legs to get through all six series. Believe me, George, I am going to make it through these six series. Like I said, I think it was in the first ever episode of A Trip Down Ducketts Passage. There were so many Goodnight Night Sweetheart podcasts that I kind of tried to listen to and they stopped after series one. I don't know why, but I will not be doing that. I am going all the way to the end. So please do not worry any of you guys. George finishes his email by saying all the very best and he's actually happy to help out if I just let him know he doesn't mind making some notes on future episodes and sharing if I get swamped under great job and thanks for the great podcast thank you George for that offer believe me it's an offer I may have to take up because actually this podcast takes so much effort to put together I actually really love doing it it's such a good release from everyday life I actually really enjoy doing it but I will consider that if I do need any help George i will get in touch thank you so much george it was such a great email he added even more into that email that i've had to leave out but there was so much content in there that i really appreciate that email so i really wanted to include that today and that is the end of today's mailbag bit of a longer one today but i really wanted to get everything included there We find ourselves back down that time portal again as we look at some more time slips in this episode. As a little treat for our first episode back in Series 2, I'm going to have this little story that I'm going to give you now and also I'm going to give you a few extra little time slip treats later on in the episode, so please stick around for those as well. But to start off, we're going to look at a famous time slip story that happened Early last century over in France. It's a time slip story that I think somebody actually pointed out to me to you. so I thought I'd include it in this segment. And if I'm honest, actually, I didn't actually really know about this time slip until I actually read about it myself. So let's get into it. Let's journey back to the 10th of August, 1901. Charlotte Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain visited the Palace of Versailles and its gardens. Moberly was president of Oxford's St. Hugh's College, while Jourdain was her assistant. Now, according to the story, the palace didn't impress either Moberly or Jourdain. The women decided to head off to see the two Trionon palaces in the gardens. The Grand Trionon was closed for the day so the two women decided to visit the Petit Trianon instead. This gorgeous little building was Marie Antoinette's private palace and in a lot of ways it was much nicer than the main building. While searching for the Petit Trianon, they passed a small cottage and a farmhouse. It's at this point that it all starts to get a bit weird. According to the women, they say they saw a range of men in different period costumes in the gardens. A man in a sombrero showed them the way to the palace, and Mobley spotted an elegant woman sketching the Petit Trianon. Jourdain didn't see her, but Mobley claims she later recognised the woman when she saw a particular portrait of Marie Antoinette. The women revisited Versailles many times over the years, but things they remembered from the gardens had disappeared. Even worse, instead of the quiet gardens and the weird atmosphere, they kept having to contend with tourists on each visit. They never managed to recreate the experience. Over the years, many people have tried to discredit this story, particularly due to their claim of having seen Marie Antoinette. Mobley continued to have paranormal experiences throughout her life, but Jourdain died in mysterious circumstances in 1924. The French poet Robert de Montesquieu held elaborate parties at Versailles. His guests often wore period costume and it was claimed that Mobley and Jourdain had encountered one such party. So they had met Marie Antoinette that day, just not THE Marie Antoinette. Other people think they had been hallucinating or simply misremembered things. But just to quench your thirst for time slips, let's end with a bridge. In 1903, two years after the incident, someone found an old map of the and Gardens. It showed a bridge that the women had talked about whenever they told their story. But this was a bridge that didn't exist in 1901. And that wasn't featured on any other map that they could have seen. So how do we explain that? So stick around because, like I said, as a little bonus for you, sweeties, we're going to head back down the time portal later on in this episode to discuss three more well-known stories that have occurred around the world. (laughs) Now let's begin the review of the episode, Series 2, Episode 1, Don't Get Around Much Anymore. The original air date for this episode was the 20th of February 1995, so we're looking at a year and probably a few months since the previous episode. When it comes to viewers at this point, If we remember, episode 6 of series 1 was getting about 8.5 million viewers, so that was very good viewing figures. And although I'm going to go into the audio commentary a bit later after this episode review, I just want to add this little bit in now that actually this show gained so many more viewers by the time series 2 came around. So for example, this episode of Goodnight Sweetheart series 2 episode 1 got 12.7 million viewers. And what I found out from the audio commentary was that Series 1 was rerun again right before series two started and it, the, marks and Gran said that they kind of got this new bunch of followers from it being rerun again and that probably explains why they've got over four million more viewers for the start of series two so great way to start for marks and Gran and their series two of this project so let us begin and start our review where are we starting today well we're at sparrow house And we see Yvonne waving off some friends at the front door with Gary in the background holding a tray of empty glasses and wine bottles so it's clear that they've had a bit of a dinner party at their house. We hear the voices of their guests in the background as they say that it will be their turn to host next to which Gary looks a bit unhappy about and Gary goes on to shout some sarcastic responses about how much he enjoyed the evening. Yvonne joins Gary in the kitchen and points out that he was offhand throughout the whole evening. During the conversation that Gary and Yvonne go on to have, we find out a bit more about who the dinner guests are and they're called Josephine and Magnus. And we find out that Josephine works with Yvonne, with Yvonne having to point out that actually Josephine is actually a little bit of a laugh at work, but she just didn't seem to be like that at this dinner party. And Gary finds that very hard to believe as he has just been bored to death by the couple. Gary calls Magnus Mr. Charisma Bypass and we find out that Magnus is actually a mortgage broker and Yvonne points out that this is the reason why they invited the couple over in the first place as they try to buy a house. Gary continues to whinge about the evening though and Yvonne asks Gary if he is actually a social cripple which seems to ruffle Gary's feathers a little bit. Yvonne starts suggesting that Gary hasn't got any real friends and Gary goes to reel off the names of his real friends but even finds that difficult to do. A lovely little line in this part by Yvonne is when she says to Gary that even he had to go as far as searching through the yellow pages for a best man when they got married. At this point, it looks like Gary has to prove himself to be correct and he goes storming into the living room to find his address book to find the number of that plumber who came over and just got on with it because Gary is really struggling to prove Yvonne wrong. Just want to mention at this point a really dated reference here. The address book that Gary picks up to look through. It would be rare to see anything like this these days. These little books would store all of your friends and family's addresses and phone numbers. But now with the joys of mobile phones we can store all of that information on our devices. So the address book is pretty much dead and gone. But back to Gary and after accepting defeat Gary admits that you know what he is probably a social cripple after all. We find out that the real reason that Gary's being sulky though is because Magnus has told them that they can't afford a mortgage for a house that they want on Maple Avenue and Yvonne tries to make Gary feel better by saying that you know what they are only a few thousand pounds short. We find out what the area of Maple Avenue is like just by Yvonne suggesting that they maybe have to sell their car to make up the last few thousand but Gary points out that you aren't accepted onto maple avenue if you don't have a car so it must be a posh well-to-do area yvonne then brings up ron and mentions that when gary struggled to reel off his list of friends he avoided adding ron's name to the list
2: you know when we were discussing friends it was painfully apparent that the one name you didn't want to volunteer was ron's the only real friend you've got and i bet he's got a few thousand put by
3: there's no way i'm making it up with ron we didn't just have a tiff you know we had a serious parting of the ways on a matter of principle
0: And the scene comes to an end there with Gary saying that there is no way that he's making it up with Ron. So at this point we are left kind of guessing about what has happened since the last episode of Goodnight Sweetheart and it's clearly not just Phoebe that Gary has now cut ties with. So hopefully to clear things up for us we now find ourselves at Ron's workplace, the print works and with Ron seemingly hard at work Ron is interrupted by a knock at the door, and we see Gary stood on the other side. So whatever has gone on, it doesn't seem like Gary needed much persuading to go and visit Ron after all. As Ron answers the door, both of the chaps are very stroppy with each other and although we're yet to hear the reason for the bust-up, Gary explains the reason that he's been forced to make it up with Ron because Yvonne has told Gary that he won't be getting any bedroom action unless he makes it up with Ron. And although he's held off for the past two weeks, Gary realises that he's going to have to give in, hence his arrival here at the Printworks. We find out that the bust-up stems from their big plan that they came up with in the last episode, of good night, sweetheart.
4: You really let me down, you great divot. I know, I'm sorry. Sorry! I could have been seriously wealthy now if you hadn't blown it. Things just got out of hand. There was a war on, you know. I know, I did do history O level. <laughs> you could try again.
3: No. Even if I did want to see Phoebe, her dad had never let me back in his pub. No, if she thinks I'm in Hollywood writing songs for
4: movies, it wouldn't be fair on her to start it all up again. You don't have to see Phoebe. The plan would still work. All you have to do is go back to 1941, invest a modest amount, come back, and cash in the enormous pile that will have accumulated in the interim.
3: No, I'd have to go down Duckett's Passage, I'd have to go right past the Royal Oak. I don't think I can do it, Ron, I'm sorry.
0: So you may remember in the last episode of Series 1, Gary and Ron had come up with this plan to invest in some shares that they could cash in during the 90s and make them both rich. Ron had even gone as far as picking out some expensive, fancy cars, Now if you remember there was no end to this storyline in that particular episode which makes me think that series 2 must have been written by that point or actually in the process of being written. Otherwise it would have just been a dead end storyline. And so in the clip we hear Ron begging Gary to go back and try the plan again but Gary is worried that he'll bump into Phoebe as he'll have to go down Ducketts passage and Eric, Phoebe's dad, would not be impressed seeing him either. So I'm guessing the whole sadness of Phoebe walking out of the Savoy with her dad in the last episode was enough to upset Gary and make him instantly come back to the 90s without investing the money and that is what has caused this rift between Gary and Ron. Ron mentions that if they don't give this a go then Gary would never get the money for Maple Avenue as Ron certainly wouldn't be lending him any. Ron says that Gary would never fit in on Maple Avenue anyway not unless Gary had all this money from their scheme and if they went through with this scheme it would also get Gary the nookie from Yvonne that he so craves and that's enough to convince Gary who asks Ron to hand over the old £5 notes to which Ron does letting him know that there's plenty more where that came from. On to the next scene and we see Gary's work van parked up outside a big white building as Gary goes to walk inside the building. But before entering we see a policeman come out and it's Reg Deadman's grandson and Gary speaks to him initially recalling a time when they met before way back in series one, episode one, just before Gary even found Duckett's passage. And as their conversation goes on, Gary asks the policeman a very important question.
3: Look, I'm on a yellow line. Turning yourself in. <laughs> All I want to know is, has this always been a bank?
5: Well, always is a very long time. And Twenty-five thousand years ago, they say this entire area was underwater. But what about fifty years ago? Well, no, of course not. Mere fifty years ago, the ice age had long ended. See what we <laughs> see. And this bank was a bank. Oh yeah, my granddad used to bank here himself during the war.
0: Thanks. So even in that clip we can hear that Reggie's grandson is just as much ditzy as his grandfather and Gary finally gets the information he needs. So here we go, we're on our first visit to the 1940s of Series 2. And actually, it's a very sad comeback as Gary looks around after coming out of Duckett's Passage to see that the area has taken a bit of a battering from some bombs, with buildings without their roofs. And at first, it looks like Gary picks up speed to see what the Royal Oak looks like and if it had any damage. But that's not the reason at all. Gary is actually moving quickly to avoid being seen by anybody he knows. And he thinks he's in the clear until he bumps into a familiar face at the entrance to the Royal Oak.
5: Gary! Gary Sparrow! Well, oh, you were a for sore eyes and no mistake. Back from America, then? Oh, PC Deadman. Sorry, I didn't recognise you. Come on, sick leave. Raptured eardrum. Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you going to come in for a beer, then? Play us one of your tunes, cheer us all up. Yeah, we still do that one of yours down the shelter sometimes. I'd like to teach the world to sing (laughs) in perfect harmony. Well, I'd love to, but uh, I'm on my way to the bank. And your path just happens to cross in front of the front door of the Royal Oak.
0: Even while Gary's having this conversation with Reg, you can see that Gary is still itching to get away and is very reluctant to go into the pub itself. But Reg says that a lot has changed And so Gary does follow Reg into the Royal Oak. In the pub, we see Phoebe behind the bar, and she seems different. Phoebe is overjoyed at first to see Gary, but is rightfully annoyed at not hearing from Gary for so long. And we then find out what the major change is.
2: Gary? Hi, Phoebe. Gary, follow me? Oh, I never thought I'd see you again. Why didn't you ever write, you bastard?
5: Ladies present!
2: I'm the only lady present, and if you don't like the language in here, you can go and drink somewhere else, you silly old sod.
3: (laughs) Phoebe, you've changed.
2: Yeah. Well, these days, you've got to get tough to survive.
3: You better not let your dad hear you swearing like that. You feel the back of his hand.
5: What? What have I said? Back of his
0: hand was about all I found, son.
5: That and his dentures. That's how they identify
4: us.
0: Sorry. Another great little cameo from the old codger there. So yeah, we find out that Eric, Phoebe's dad, has sadly been killed during a raid. And this really explains the change in Phoebe. It's like she's had to toughen up since her dad's death. And now she's not taking any rubbish from anybody. Now that she's not being held back by the reins from her father. Now a little side note, listeners of A Trip Down Duckett's Passage would already be aware that Eric had come to an end as we spoke about it being Eric's last episode in the last podcast of Series 1. The pub is now being run by Phoebe and Reg because Reg has been signed off from work and Phoebe questions why she hasn't heard from Gary for so long to which Gary responds by saying that he thought it would be best to stay away after hearing that Donald had been taken prisoner. Phoebe starts questioning Gary about what he's been up to while he's been out in Hollywood and Gary comes out with this big story about the actors that he's been rubbing shoulders with but Phoebe just can't believe that he hasn't been having relationships with these female actresses at the same time. It just doesn't make sense to her why he'd leave that all behind to come back and check up on how she is doing. Some soldiers then come into the pub and demand that Phoebe serves them. So Reg actually comes over to have a nice little heart-to-heart with Gary, explaining why Phoebe has had to toughen up since he last met her.
5: Why if I, uh... No, listen. She's been really lonely since her dad. I can imagine. She's a brave girl. Very brave. But she's only young still. It's been hard for her. I'm sure. Things get very mixed up in wartime, son. People do things they wouldn't normally do. Sometimes they regret it after. As regards our Phoebe, just don't go breaking her heart. I couldn't if I tried.
2: <laughs> well,
3: look at her, she's become as tough as nails. Nah, that's just a front.
2: Rich, would you ever get off your fat backside and start collecting the pots?
3: It's convincing,
1: isn't
0: it? After hearing the way Phoebe talks to Reg, Gary looks at his watch and gets up from his chair, realising that he's still on this errand and that he must get on with it. We see Gary head for the exit of the pub, and although Gary and Phoebe exchange glances, Phoebe is not begging Gary to stay, and Gary does end up leaving without really any goodbyes, or even any words at all being said for that matter. We cut to a scene where we are met with a massive green building this time and it clearly says bank on the building and the viewer can put two and two together and see that this is the bank that Gary visited in the 90s. So Gary has reached his destination to invest his old £5 notes. He arrives by taxi and makes his way into the bank where he is met by two older gentlemen. Gary hears that the man that has let him in is called Wilson which initially makes Gary look at the man and as Wilson asks his boss Mr Mannering, if he should make them some tea Mr Mannering starts cursing Wilson only for us to see Gary's face with this cheesy smile on his face as he cannot quite believe what he is witnessing. Gary starts singing Who Do You Think You Are Killing Mr Hitler towards the bank manager who seems put out by this questioning why Gary is singing this to him. Gary then sort of comes back to reality, so to speak, saying that, well, Wilson and Mannering are common names, so it is purely a coincidence. Now, let's just stop for a second to strip things back for some younger listeners that may not be aware of this particular joke. So, Mannering and Wilson are characters in the hit British comedy Dad's Army. Now, I'm going to go into more depth in the trivia segment about Dad's Army, but Dad's Army was about a group of gentlemen that made up the Home Guard, which is a group made up of local volunteers... Otherwise, ineligible for military service, either because of age, hence the title Dad's Army, or for, like, medical reasons. Now, what's a lovely twist here is that Gary recognises these characters from Dad's Army, questioning Mr. Mannering about being in the Home Guard. And it feels like for Gary that he's actually turned up in the sitcom itself, especially as in Dad's Army, Mr. Manning is actually a bank manager and Wilson is his bank clerk in the show. Anyway, for now, let's leave it there and we'll come back for some more of Dad's Army later on in the show. After Mr Mannering confirms that he is in the home guard, Gary's goofy smile returns to his face. But they then get down to business and they talk about the investment Gary wants to make. So Gary hands over his wad of old fivers. Mr. Mannering seems a bit suspicious about how Gary seems to have acquired all of this money and even though Gary hands over all of his documentation and identity papers, it still doesn't ease the bank manager's worries, even though all of Gary's documents are correct. Mr. Mannering asks Gary what his job is and Gary goes on to mention that he is a songwriter and that he's been writing a musical. Mr. Mannering tries to trip Gary up here by handing him a book of music, telling Gary to sing a few bars from it. But Gary points out that actually he can't read music and this makes Mr Mannering even more suspicious and he calls for Wilson to return. Mr Mannering talks with Wilson about these concerns over Gary but Wilson does confirm that some people are actually able to be songwriters without being able to read music. And Wilson asks Gary to perform something that he has written just to prove he says that he can do what he says. Gary then starts singing, I'm getting married in the morning, and this seems to win them both over. We then see Gary get excited again over another Dad's Army reference that Gary seems very familiar with. About these shares.
3: His name wouldn't be Pike, would
5: it? What are you talking about? He's called Major. Look at the state of that
0: tray, Major. (laughs) Sorry, Mr. Mannerine. Stupid boy. (laughs) (laughs) So, just to tie up this scene, the jittery bank clerk arrives with the tea, and Gary is convinced he knows the name of this bank clerk. It has to be Pike. In Dad's Army, Pike was the youngest character and was portrayed as this careless young man who made loads of mistakes. So when Gary sees this young employee walk in and nearly drop the tea everywhere, Gary asks if by any chance that this man is called Pike, only for Mr Manning to say that it isn't, and this young bank clerk is actually called Major. Even though he wasn't correct, Gary cannot resist one more Dad's Army reference by saying stupid boy, which is what Captain mannerin would constantly say to Pike in Dad's Army. I'll talk a little bit more about Pike from Dad's Army in the trivia as well, because the man who plays Pike in Dad's Army actually makes an appearance in Goodnight Sweetheart later on in future series. So it's a lovely crossover between the two shows here. Marks and Gran have worked wonders here pulling this off. And this isn't the last time that a popular British sitcom finds its way into Goodnight Sweetheart. Let's just say that a certain show very close to Nicholas Lyndhurst's heart has a good cameo reference in a future episode. But we'll talk about that when that arrives. So great writing, Marks and Graham. Well done. Still in 1940s London, we find that Gary has returned to a locked up Royal Oak pub. And after hammering on the door, Phoebe finally answers. And we find out that she's finally getting to do her bit for her country. So Join the WVS?
2: Yeah. I always wanted to do my bit, but Dad would never let me. I can only do it part-time, of course. Otherwise, I'd have been a fanny. A what? (laughs) A first-aid nursing yeomanry. The fannies. You can't be a part-time fanny.
3: No, no, of course not.
2: And they're very difficult to get into.
0: Well, that's true. So as we heard there, there was a gag involving Fanny, so to speak. Uh, let's just say that Marks and Gran had to fight hard to keep that particular joke in the show. So they say in the audio commentary, it went down very well and I think Nicholas Lindhurst did very well to not laugh out at that joke when acting that out. Gary then hands Phoebe a gift, but it all comes at a cost because Gary announces that he is leaving to go to Hollywood again, claiming that Judy Garland has been lined up to play Eliza Doolittle and he needs to meet her. Phoebe looks upset that Gary is leaving her life yet again and Gary points out that she doesn't need him causing trouble for her anymore when she has Donald to think of. And we find out that Donald is still in the prisoner of war camp in Italy and Phoebe is quick to point out like she did many times in the first series, that the marriage to Donald has never really worked out for her. Phoebe goes on to mention that it's not fair that Gary swans back into her life after so long, bringing gifts only to waltz straight back out again. Phoebe does ask Gary not to stay away for too long next time, giving him something to remember her by as she kisses a napkin, which leaves her lipstick on, and then going in for a proper kiss as well. The scene finishes with Gary reciting the lyrics to We'll Meet Again, only for Phoebe to finish them off, as that's a song this time she's actually fully aware of. Back in the 90s, and we are back at the printing works, and we find a rather excited Ron.
4: I'm rich. Fantastic. This calls for a high alcohol content bevy. Do you know what Eurotronics were trading at this morning? 19 and a half quid. That means we're worth nearly 450,000 smackers. I could kiss you. (laughs) Try to
3: resist the temptation.
4: Cheer up, Gary. In one morning, you've managed to make 200,000 and raise your lucky rating on both sides of the space-time
0: continuum. So despite their plan to be filthy rich seemingly working in their favour as the shares for Eurotronics are now worth 450,000 pounds, Gary has other things on his mind. Now that Gary's gone back, it's stirred up all of these feelings again for Phoebe and maybe made him feel even more for her as he seems to like this new passionate, headstrong Phoebe. And you can clearly see that Gary is going to want some more of this new Phoebe. Back at Sparrow House and Yvonne is on the phone discussing houses and Yvonne seems to be getting a little irate over the size of this house saying it would be fit only for the Seven Dwarves. Yvonne hangs up and Gary walks into the living room with two bits of good news. One, he's made it up with Ron and two, he's managed to secure a mortgage for the house on Maple Avenue. Yvonne is over the moon at this news and is eager to meet this bank manager. Gary makes up a story about the money coming from an Arab bank and that they won't deal with females which angers Yvonne until Gary mentions that they have a 5% fixed interest rate and Yvonne is instantly won over again. Now, we're back at the bank again, but this time we're in 1994 and Ron and Gary sit together as the bank manager looks over the receipt, pointing out the immaculate condition it is in, considering it it is from 1941. Ron points out that their grandad had kept it in an airtight tin, hence why it looks so good. As the bank manager gets the certificate out, we see Ron is getting fidgety, excited and impatient as the bank manager mentions how exciting it is that they've managed to invest in Eurotronic's. Now let me just also point out here that they are pretending to the bank manager that they both have the same granddad. So basically they're acting like they're related at this point. The bank manager can't understand though why their granddad never came back to get his share certificate And Ron tries to come up with this story explaining that he had suffered from a serious concussion from an air raid in 1941. And with a little help from Gary, Ron explains that he went on to lose his memory. Gary and Ron start waffling on, which then gets the bank manager suspicious about their grandad. And so Gary gets straight to the point, showing the bank manager a copy of his granddad's will, showing that he had been left everything The phone starts ringing and after answering it, the bank manager excuses himself from the room for a short period. And while the bank manager is out of the room, Gary snoops over the documents and the share certificates and finds a little problem. Uh Uh-oh.
4: What do you mean, uh uh-oh? We're seriously rich. What's uh uh-oh about that?
3: This memo from the manager in
4: 1957.
3: What about it? Well, it seems that the Arbuthnot brothers, Cecil and Harold... Had a vicious bust-up after Harold found Cecil in bed with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's, there's a press so they dissolved the partnership and set up rival companies. Harold started Arbuthnot of
4: Ealing Limited, and Cecil started Arbuthnot Electronics Limited. Oh no! So what happened? The shares were split. We only get a hundred thou each, and I've got to choose between a yacht and a sports car. What a bummer!
3: <laughs> I think it might be a bigger bummer than that, Ron. Listen. Since I have not been able to trace Mr. Sparrow, I am compelled to make a decision on his behalf. As a church-going man, I cannot in all conscience invest any of Mr. Sparrow's funds with the adulterer, so I will opt for Mr. Harold's new company.
4: Which went on to flourish and become Eurotronics.
3: Which went into liquidation 18 months later.
0: (laughs) While the wife, stealer went on to become Eurotronics PLC. So it's not worked out for our hapless duo again and the bank manager returns to Gary with his head in his hands and Ron hitting his head against the table. The bank manager reads the letter that has been left with the certificate and can now understand why Gary and Ron feel so upset. The bank manager tries to reassure them in some way that Mr Major would have acted in the best possible way which acts as a nice twist with Gary ranting that he can't believe they made Major the bank manager when he couldn't even manage a tea tray. Gary realises he cannot argue anymore and the bank manager says that he wishes he could help them in some way with Ron saying he can if he leaves the safe keys with them and closes his eyes and counts to a thousand but the bank manager says he doesn't think head office would be too happy with that. And Gary has the last line of the episode saying I don't suppose you do mortgages? And that is where episode one of series two comes to an end. (laughs) There we have it. We're back up and running. Series 2 is on the go. How did I feel about that episode? I really enjoyed that episode. Oh, I felt there was a lot of good points in it. I enjoyed seeing this new Phoebe being this stronger, more harder kind of a person. I think we also saw a little bit of more of a softer side of uh, Yvonne as well. It's like... The more softer that Yvonne has got, the tougher that Phoebe's got. But knowing what's to come in the future, I know that Yvonne obviously doesn't stay that way for too long. But yeah, it was a good little episode that was. It was nice to kind of carry on pretty much from where we left off. And like I said, it was just so many good points. And I really enjoyed the Dad's Army thing. Like, I'm not a massive Dad's Army fan. I know the basics. I, I can remember my granddad used to watching it and having it on. And I would just be like in the background kind of watching it. But I had the kind of the basic knowledge of Dad's Army to know what was going on in that scene and I, and the way that they crossed over the two kind of sitcoms I really enjoyed that. Love the fact that Ron and Gary have still got this feud going on and they still try and fix it to get their money that they've been craving and yeah it still didn't work out for them but a really good episode and I, I'm really looking forward. I, I can't really remember much of series 2 so I know I've definitely watched it multiple times, and I know as soon as the episodes start, I'll instantly remember them, but I can't really remember at this moment in time what's to come ahead. So I'm actually really excited about watching the next bunch of episodes. So, yeah, there we go. If you've got any views or thoughts on that episode, then please get in contact with me. I will give you all of the contact details later on in the podcast, but I'd love to hear what your views were on this particular episode. So, let's go on to some trivia. Alright, let's look at some of the songs that appeared in this episode. There was quite a few that we can add to our Spotify playlist this time around, I think. If you're not aware, in Series 1, any songs that were mentioned throughout any of the episodes, I've started creating a Spotify playlist that you can search for. Again, just search for A Trip Down Ducketts Passage. And you will come across the playlist of all the songs featuring Goodnight Sweetheart," And we've got another batch that we can add in today. We're going to start off with the song that doesn't actually appear in the episode. It's the actual episode title. The episode title being Don't Get Around Much Anymore. And that is a song by Duke Ellington. The song was originally entitled Never Know Lament. And was first recorded by Duke Ellington and his orchestra on May the 4th, 1940. Don't Get Around Much Anymore quickly became a hit after Bob Russell wrote its lyrics in 1942. Here is a clip of the instrumental version by Duke Ellington. <laughs> Here is a version by Duke Ellington where Louis Armstrong joined Duke and provided the vocals. Mr. Saturday's dance Oh, they
2: would crowded to flow Couldn't bear it without you Don't get around much anymore Thought I'd visit the club Got as far as the dawn. They have asked me about you.
0: Don't get around much anymore. Mm. The next song that I'm going to add to our list is "There'll Always Be an England." Now we hear a somber version of this song as Gary enters. The 1940s as he walks down Duckett's Passage and he sees that the area around him has been hit during a raid. You can hear this kind of sombre song playing in the background. And actually I really enjoy they will Always Be in England. It always takes me back to being a small little lad as my grandad used to have this tape cassette that he used to play in the car of all wartime songs and They'll Always Be in England was one of my favourite songs on that cassette. It's an English patriotic song written and distributed in the summer of 1939. It was written by Ross Parker and Huey Charles. I think if you were to hear any version, and I'm actually going to play this version in a minute, the most popular version would be by Vera Lynn, but she didn't record it until 1962. But for your ears, here is that version now. The next song that we're adding is I'd like to teach the world to sing. Now this was mentioned by Reg as him and Gary stood outside the pub. Reg said to Gary that they still sing that song even to this day and he even starts singing the song to Gary. Now I'd like to teach the world to sing, in perfect harmony brackets, is a pop song that was originally by the Hillside Singers in 1971. But it was made famous by the New Seekers a few months later as they brought the song out and it went straight to the top of the UK charts in 1971. That's probably the version that you're probably most familiar with. So here's a little clip of that song right now. I'd
1: like to see the world for once, all st-
0: On to Get Me to the Church on Time. Now this is what Gary sings when he's trying to win over Mr. Mannering and Wilson in the bank in the 1940s by saying that he is a songwriter. He dips back into his musical that he's writing of Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady and sings Get Me to the Church on Time. Here is a clip of that song from the musical My Fair Lady. Some bloke who's able,
6: lift up the table, get me to the church on time!
1: to the church, for God's sake, get me to the church.
0: Now this next song that I'm going to add in, it was probably going to pop up again at some point as the series goes on, but I thought we'd better just get it into the playlist straight away because it is a terrific song. And that's We'll Meet Again. This is what Gary sings to Phoebe as he goes to leave her for Hollywood and she actually sings it back to him, making Gary know that she is actually fully aware of what this song is and he can't claim to have written this one. But We'll Meet Again is a 1939 song. Again, it was written by the English songwriters Ross Parker and Huey Charles, like... They'll Always Be in England. Again, this song was, again, really made famous by Vera Lynn when she started singing it for all the troops and stuff. And it, again, really came back into the public knowledge. Again, recently, during COVID, it was a big song that was people used to sing because, obviously, during COVID not many people could meet up with each other so this song kind of was sung out between people again during those tough times in the pandemic. So here is the version of We'll Meet Again by Vera Lynn We'll
1: meet again Don't know where Don't know when But I know We'll meet again some sunny day. Keep smiling through just like you always do till the blue skies drive the dark clouds far away.
0: And the last song that I'm adding is Who Do You Think You Are Kidding Mr. Hitler? Now please get in touch if I'm wrong about this because my mind is about to be blown. I actually thought this was a proper song but I think I've only just found out now that this song was only made for the theme tune as Dad's Army. Now, obviously, I knew it was the theme tune to Dad's Army, but I never—I actually thought it was an actual song beforehand that was back in the olden days. I didn't realise this was actually made just purely for the sitcom. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'd want to be corrected if possible. But, yeah, that's actually blown my mind if that's true. The lyrics was by Jimmy Perry, and the music was by Derek Tavener, and it was performed by Bud Flanagan. Have a listen of this, Who Do You Think You Are Kidding Mr. Hitler? The theme tune to Dad's Army.
6: Who do you think you are kidding Mr. Hitler? If you think we're on the run. We are the boys who will stop your little game. We are the boys who will make you think again Cause who do you think you are giving Mr. Hitler If you think old England's done?
0: There we have it. All those songs you will find on the Spotify playlist. If you go searching on Spotify for A Trip Down Duckett's Passage, you will find not just those songs, but all of the songs that we've included from Series 1 as well. So go over to Spotify and take a little listen. So, as we carry on with our trivia, let's look at the actors that appeared in this episode. We're going to start off today with Alec Linstead. Now, Alec Linstead was born in 1940 in Surrey, England, UK. He played Mr. Mannering, who Gary came across when he visited the bank back in 1940s. Alec Linstead, like quite a few of the actors that we featured in the first series, only really had bit parts, really, whenever he appeared in anything. He had parts in The Sweeney, Poirot... Lovejoy, Silent Witness, and the Bill, just to name a few of those, and he was in Doctor Who for eight episodes as well during the 70s, I think, as well. The next person I'm going to talk about, well, for me, he's an absolute legend in my eyes, Terence Hardiman, who played Wilson in this show. So Wilson, obviously, was the character that Gary came across when he went to the bank in the 1940s. Terence Hardiman was born on the 6th of April, 1937. He sadly died last year on the 18th of April, 2023. You may have seen him in things like Bergerac, Inspector Morse, Minder, Poirot, Keeping Up Appearances, Casualty, The Bill, Doctor Who in 2010... I remember him in Jonathan Creek, he played a character called Andre Masson and he was part of a locked room mystery, always remember him on that, I'm a massive Jonathan Creek fan so definitely remember him in that, but for me and I guess anybody of my age would know him and probably had nightmares over him as he played the Demon Headmaster on CBBC's show in the mid-90s. Most of the time I talk about children's TV shows, I only have to mention Demon Headmaster, and everybody probably says the same thing about how much he scared them. He had this kind of haunting look, and obviously whenever he took his glasses off, he would be hypnotising any of the kids in his school that he was at. And actually... Terence Hardiman reprised his role as the Demon Headmaster when they rebooted the show a couple of years back. I don't really know how much he was in it, but I do know my daughters were watching the reboot on CBBC, and he appeared as a little cameo in that as well, which was a lovely little throwback there from CBBC. I really enjoyed that. Other little bits of trivia when it comes to Terence Hardiman... His portrayal of Wilson in this was a keenly observed impersonation of John Mesurier's own performance. Now that is who plays Wilson in Dad's Army. And you can see him incorporating many of the tics and mannerisms of the original Wilson. He does an amazing job. So if you ever get the chance to compare the two, go and have a look at that. Most of the roles that Terence Hardiman has played have all been controlling authority figures. I think there was quite a few there where he was like sergeants, colonels, uh, like I say headmasters. He He was a headmaster in another show as well. I can't think of the top of my head it was. But obviously the demon headmaster is probably one of his most famous roles. Next up we look at Eamon Walker. Now he plays Thursfield. I don't actually remember this name coming up in the show, from what I can remember, but Fursfield was the bank manager from the 1990s. Now, he was played, like I said, by Eamon Walker, who was born on the 12th of June 1962. He's been in The Bill, Love Hurts and Birds of a Feather, which are also both of them marks and grand shows, and he was in One Foot in the Grave as well. Walker now lives in the United States and he has been in hit films such as Unbreakable with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, he's been in a crime thriller called Lord of War with Nicolas Cage, and he's even been on Broadway playing Mark Antony in Julius Caesar at the Belasco Theatre in Midtown Manhattan alongside Denzel Washington. Eamon Walker has also been in hit American shows such as Oz, ER and Chicago Fire, which I think he's still in up to this point now. He is trained as a dancer. He began his career as a dancer, actually. But when a leg operation forced him to give it up, he turned to his second love, which was acting. He is the first black actor to play Othello at Shakespeare's Globe Theatre. And the final actor that I want to bring up today is Max Digby. He played the major who was the clumsy bank clerk that nearly dropped the tea everywhere when gary was back in the 1940s bank max digby's not really had that much of a cv i've got here down that he's been in london's burning the queen's nose tracy beaker doctors and the bill but again they were all kind of bit parts as well so that's your actors for series two episode one of goodnight sweetheart on with our trivia i want to look at the audio commentary for this episode now before i start the audio commentary i think this segment where we look at the audio commentary it's probably going to just turn up when and wherever it happens because looking on the dvds i think this episode and an audio commentary And I think there was another episode that's a bit further along in series two that there's also an audio commentary of. But apart from that, I don't think every episode has an audio commentary this time around. So I'll try and add it in where it's possible. There are other little segments that I do intend to slot in that can possibly replace the audio commentary bit. So don't worry about that. But regarding the audio commentary for this episode, Marks and Gran, they initially said that they were kind of stupid in writing this episode as it because they made it like a sequel to the last episode of series 1 Luckily, BBC, like I mentioned earlier, showed the first series again before Series 2. Otherwise, Marks and Grant said that people probably wouldn't have known what was going on if they literally just put Series 2 on straight away. Because I think what they're trying to say is they had this feud going between Ron and Gary. And I think when you kind of watch them back-to-back, Series 1, Episode 6, and Series 2, Episode 1, you kind of know what that feud's about. But obviously, if you've got such a gap, I think we said it was about over a year, or so between the two separate episodes you wouldn't have had a clue otherwise but because they'd put series one on pretty much before series two aired I think it worked out in their favor but they did say that they probably should have written that a little bit better we've already spoken about the fact that they've made Phoebe tougher person they actually didn't choose to get rid of Eric until in between writing series one and two so so even at that point then there still may have been a reappearance from Eric. They go on to say that Nicholas Lyndhurst was an absolutely impeccable actor and rarely ever did he have to do his scene twice. And I can imagine that because the way that he plays these comedic roles and just goes from being funny to being so straight-faced, he's so good at that. So the fact that he can actually do that without having to re-record is really impressive. Marks and Gran mentioned that they had to ask Dad's Army's writers to use their characters. Obviously, Dad's Army's writers agreed to that. And you know what? I just think it was an amazing thing to do. And even in the audio commentary, Marks and Gran go on to say that it was an amazing double bluff having a sitcom turn up within a sitcom. And that was pretty much all I could gather from the audio commentary today there wasn't really much more that I can add. So that's your audio commentary for today. Let's go back down that time portal. So as a little treat, we are going to go globetrotting for three mini time slip accounts. Some of them you actually might have heard of before. So just listen along and also look out for some of the pictures that I'm talking about on our social media as well. So first up we're going to look at two married couples that drove through France in October 1979. Rather than driving through the night they stopped at an old-fashioned inn. Now according to the couples it didn't have telephones, lifts or even glazed windows but it was quaint and they enjoyed it there. The husbands apparently took photos of their wives outside. However a fortnight later the couples couldn't find the inn again on their way home. The photos taken in the hotel were missing from the roll of negatives. So that's a bit of a strange one there. Like I say, they've just clearly stumbled across this old-fashioned in but yeah could have been a time slip could have been other reasons for it we don't know there's no explanation to that one but a nice little time slip treat for you there now the next two stories i've got are probably a bit more famous and do come with photo and video evidence so feel free to go and check this out after listening to the podcast but our second story is one of the more famous cases when it comes to time slips and it takes us to british columbia in canada where we look at the time traveling hipster You may have seen this photo from 1941, which appears to show a man in present-day clothing. So the image that I'm talking about is dated in November 1941, and it shows a crowd of people at the reopening of the South Fork, Bridge near Gold Bridge, British Columbia. Now, in the middle of the crowd, if you look at the photo, you can see to the right there is a curiously dressed hipster wearing what he looks like is a printed t shirt, modern sunglasses, and most interestingly, holding what looked to be a compact camera, which was, of course, almost non existent around this date. Now, hoax busters and experts on image manipulation immediately jumped into the conversation. And although tampering with photos in 1941 was possible, it was extremely difficult, and given the original context of the photo, this idea was ruled out. It turns out that the man may have just been a quirky guy at the Gold Bridge opening. The sunglasses he's wearing were available as early as the 1920s, although they were not particularly fashionable at that time. And the printed t-shirt he seems to be wearing is likely a sweater with a stitched-on logo. The logo is similar to the symbol of the Montreal Maroons, a popular hockey between 1924 and 1938. The man's camera, the most intriguing piece of the hipster's ensemble, may be a rare early Kodak 35, which was a portable travel camera that was available between 1938 and 1942. Or... Maybe this photograph carries an authentic time traveller enjoying events in British Columbia. Whatever the man's origins, internet hype has pushed this random image from Canadian obscurity into a global conspiracy theory discussion. Nice work, hipster guy. And finally, our third little time slip story features a video online of the Los Angeles premiere of Charlie Chaplin's film The Circus in 1928. As the video rolls on, you can notice a woman passing by who appears to be speaking into a mobile phone. Various experts believe the device to be an early hearing aid, though no one has definitively disproved this urban legend. In the shot, a woman dressed in a black top hat and white gloves can be seen walking around in the background of the set, holding what seems to be a device in her hand, with many suggesting that she's holding a mobile phone. Handheld mobile phones were not widely available until the 1980s, around 50 years after the Charlie Chaplin movie was released. Irish filmmaker George Clarke discovered the time traveller in the 1928 movie back in 2010 before posting these findings to YouTube. In the video, which has since gathered nearly 7 million views, the filmmaker explained if you look carefully, she's talking on a thin black device that is held to her ear. If you notice also that the knuckles are bent in the flat shape of a phone. The phone is to the ear, it's not an ear trumpet. It's not an AM FM radio, obviously, because it's 1928. Technically, there's nothing that can explain what is in her hand. It's clear she's talking, she's on her own, she's talking into the device. A few days later, after George posted this YouTube video, conspiracy theorists began to offer their views on the time traveller footage. Some claimed that the woman was simply shielding her eyes from the sun, while others argued that she was cupping her ear. However, the Daily News soon shut down the conspiracies stating that while this fantastical theory is fun to ponder, in all likelihood the woman is actually using a hearing aid. The outlet reports that the hearing device was invented during the 1920s, around the time the circus was filmed. So, to see any of the photos we've talked about, head to our socials and you will find them there. In our history segment today, we are going to be looking at the British sitcom Dad's Army. It plays a big part in this episode as the two sitcoms cross over beautifully. So, what is Dad's Army? If you're unaware of some of the classic sitcoms, then you may not have seen much of Dad's Army. It is still on TV today. I've seen it on some of the channels. I think it's on BBC Two every so often. So, it is available still to watch. But let's talk all things Dad's Army. Dad's Army is a British television sitcom about the United Kingdom's home guard during the Second World War. It was written by Jimmy Perry and David Croft and originally broadcast on BBC One from the 31st of July 19 to 13th of November 1977. It ran for nine series and 80 episodes in total. It had a feature film released in 1971, a stage show and a radio version based on the television scripts was also produced. The series regularly gained audiences of 18 million viewers and is still shown internationally bear in mind them 18 million viewers you've got to think like at them days when dad's army was on tv you would probably have only had what four channels if that i'm not sure going back to the 70s time but yeah a lot of people would have been watching a lot of people would have had very limited things to watch so that's why you're getting 18 million viewers just for one tv show so great going for dad's army most of the platoon members in Dad's Army are over military age, which is the reason they make up the Home Guard, and the series stars several older British actors, including Arnold Ridley, John Laurie, Arthur Lowe and John Mesurier. Younger members of the cast included Ian Lavender, Clive Dunn, who despite being one of the younger cast members played the oldest Guardsman, Lance Corporal Jones and James Beck. The Warmington-on-Sea platoon of the Home Guard is commanded by pompous bank manager Captain Mannering, who was played by Arthur Lowe. We saw Captain Mannering appear in Goodnight Sweetheart today in this episode. He's assisted by his chief clerk, Sergeant Wilson, who was played by John LeMessure. There was Lance Corporal Jones, who we've mentioned was played by Clive Dunn. He's an old soldier renowned for his frequent cries of don't panic and they don't like it up em'. Private Fraser, played by John Laurie, is a miserable old Scotsman whose favourite saying is, we're doomed. Private Godfrey, played by Arnold Ridley, spends much of his time asking if he can be excused. And Private Pike is played by Ian Lavender, who is a bit of a mummy's boy. I mentioned earlier when we did the review about Pike, that's the character that Gary thought had walked in with the tea tray because he was this clumsy individual And I did say I was going to bring up in this history section about the person who played Private Pike. And like I said just a minute ago, he was played by Ian Lavender. Now, Ian Lavender appears as the series goes on, actually as Gary's grown-up son. So I know there's quite a few spoilers for you to take in if you're watching Goodnight Sweetheart for the first time alongside this podcast. But yeah, Ian Lavender will play a big part As the series goes on but I just thought I'd include that now seeing as it comes up that he's in Dad's Army. And actually sadly he actually passed away quite recently. I think it was in the last few weeks or so which was very sad because he's a very much admired British actor. So that is some sad news. Private Pike had his mother who was played by Janet Davies and she was also Sergeant Wilson's long term girlfriend. And we've got Private Walker, who was played by James Beck, and he is a spiv. And I now know what a spiv is, all thanks to Goodnight Sweetheart. And there are a few things that he can't get his hands on, provided the price is right. The Motley Band of Men provided Warmington on Sea's last line of defence against the Nazi hordes. The series has influenced British popular culture with its catchphrases and characters being widely known. The Radio Times magazine listed Captain Manning's You Stupid Boy catchphrase among the 25 greatest putdowns on TV. In 2004 there was a massive British search for Britain's best sitcom and Dad's Army came fourth in that BBC poll behind Vicar of Dibley in third, Blackadder in second and Only Fools and Horses being the most popular choice. In that list Goodnight Sweetheart finished 50th out of 100. Bit of a surprise when I looked at the list and saw that some of the shows that were ahead of it Goodnight Sweetheart should have definitely been a little bit higher I think but There we go. A second feature film of Dad's Army was then made with a different cast, and this was released quite recently, actually, in 2016. The cast included Toby Jones as Captain Mannering, Bill Nighy as Sergeant Wilson, Tom Courtney as Lance Corporal Jones, Michael Gambon as Private Godfrey, Blake Harrison as Private Pike, Daniel Mays as Private Walker and Bill Patterson as Private Fraser. Catherine Zeta-Jones, Sarah Lancashire and Mark Gattis also featured in that film. That film was primarily shot on location in Yorkshire. And as I said, it came out in 2016, but it got mainly negative reviews. In 2019, UKTV recreated three missing episodes for broadcast on its gold channel under the title Dad's Army, The Lost Episodes. It starred Kevin McNally and Robert Bathurst as, as Captain Manning and Sergeant Wilson. Dad's Army was originally intended to be called The Fighting Tigers. Dad's Army was based partly on co-writer and creator Jimmy Perry's experiences in the Home Guard. As I said, the series is set in the fictional seaside town of Warmington-on-Sea, which is located on the south coast of England, not far from Eastbourne. The show's opening titles were originally intended to feature footage of refugees and Nazi troops to illustrate the threat faced by the Home Guard. Despite opposition from the BBC's Head of Comedy at the time, The controller of BBC One ordered that these be removed on the grounds that they were offensive. The replacement titles featured the animated sequence of swastika headed arrows approaching Britain. The opening titles were originally in black and white but they have been updated twice. Firstly in series 3 which added colour and improved animation to the titles and then once again in series 6 which made further improvements to the animation. As I mentioned earlier in the songs part of the podcast, the show's theme tune, Who Do You Think You Are Kidding Mr. Hitler, was Jimmy Perry's idea and written especially for the show and intended as a gentle pastiche of wartime songs. Jimmy Perry recalls that before writing the sitcom, the Home Guard was a largely forgotten aspect of Britain's defence in the Second World War, something which the series rectified. And in a 1972 Radio Times interview, Arthur Lowe, who played Captain Manning, expressed surprise at the programme's success. He said, We expected the show to have limited appeal to the age group that lived through the war and the Home Guard. We didn't expect what has happened, that children from the age of five upwards would enjoy the show too. Dad's Army has its own kind of fan club as well. Dad's Army Appreciation Society is an organisation dedicated to the British television sitcom. It is run by a small group of individuals and has over 1,700 members. And just so you know, I actually did reach out to Dad's Army's Appreciation Society to see if somebody would like to come on and be interviewed for the show about Dad's Army, but I've not heard anything back. However... I am open to that interview still, if anybody is part of that and can get hold of anybody. And I'm more than happy to record that for a future episode of the podcast. So that's all, Dad's Army. Let's end this segment with a little bit more of the theme tune. Who
6: do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler? If you think we're on the run. We are the boys who will stop your little game. We are the boys who will make you think again. Cause who do you think you are giving, Mr. Hitler?
0: And there we go that's our episode done and dusted our first episode of series two of a trip down Duckett's Passage. I hope you've enjoyed the episode it's great to be back like I said I'm looking forward to reviewing the rest of series two because at the moment I can't really remember which episodes are even in series two so it's going to be a nice little surprise every time I start up a new episode. As I normally do I add a question to Spotify which links to this podcast so please Go to that and respond to that. Today's question that I'm going to ask you guys is this Have you ever found yourself in the company of somebody that very much resembles a character from a popular TV show? So I'm talking somebody that might be like Del Boy or Frank Spencer from Some Mothers Do Have Them. I just thought this would be a nice question to ask, seeing as Gary found himself in the company of who he thought was Captain Mannering and Wilson I was wondering have you ever had any times where you thought to yourself god it's like I'm being in a sitcom here with this particular person I'm also going to put that question on our social media accounts as well so if you want you can comment on any of them to give your response so one more time have you ever found yourself in the company of somebody that very much resembles a character from a popular tv show let me know your thoughts guys how can you get in contact with us? Well, you can follow us or you can message us on Instagram. If you search for our page, it is at Duckett's Pod. You can find us on Twitter or X, also at, at Duckett's Pod. On Facebook, if you search for a trip down Ducket's Passage or just simply Duckett's Passage, you will come across our Facebook page. Again, feel free to comment on any of our previous posts or send me a message on Messenger on there. Or well, if you want to do, like some people have done, send a lengthy email, then you can send me an email via duckitspod at gmail.com. You can find A Trip Down Ducket's Passage on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn and Google Podcasts and actually some other podcast streaming sites. Where can you watch Goodnight Sweetheart? Well, you can watch Goodnight Sweetheart every single episode on itvx which is the itv streaming service or if you want to watch episodes that may not be particularly in order then go to that's tv channel you'll find that on your tv boxes i'm not sure what channel it is it probably vary depending what you watch it on but that's tv shows goodnight sweetheart quite often and we normally tune into that if we've got nothing else to watch we put on that's tv and it normally seems to pop up with goodnight sweetheart so head to them places if you want to watch goodnight sweet Art rather than listen to it here on the podcast. And as I said, also head to Spotify as well, not just to listen to this podcast, but to listen to our A Trip Down Duckett's Passage playlist with all the songs that are featured from the episode so far. Every episode where we have more songs, I will add them songs on as we go along. So we're going to build up a bigger and a bigger playlist. Like I said, guys, please get in touch. I would love for you to spread the word. You guys have been absolutely amazing as listeners so far. And I just like I said earlier on, I want to build and build and build this community. So spread the word, guys. Please get in touch when it comes to trivia or anything that you think that I might have got wrong as well. Please get in touch about that as well. And that's all I've really got to say for this episode. So thank you again for listening, guys. Have a lovely rest of your day or whatever you're doing right now. And I look forward to bringing you Series 2, Episode 2 in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much, guys. And good night, sweetheart.